first Sunday after the bylaw that was passed by the municipality that uh, people indoors are to wear a mask, except for certain reasons. I was watching the news and they were saying theaters are off opening and you can go to the theater when you're watching the movie, you need to wear your mask, but you can take it off when you eat your popcorn. And so, <laughs> I take from that that there's a little freedom. <laughs> As you will see, there are some people in the church today that's not wearing a mask. They either have physical reasons or psychological reasons why they do not uh, want to wear a mask or can't wear a mask. And, uh, and as they tell us from the government, uh, it's not our place to be vigilantes and try to interrogate why or they, they don't have to give a reason other than the fact that this is something they can't do. But uh, for those of us that can, we encourage you to wear a mask and to uh, abide by the things, protect one another, and let's uh, get through this, navigate through this time so we can come out the other side and uh, get back. And I think this is the first time I've said it here. But we're not just going to get back to normal. We're going to get back to better. <laughs> and I do believe the Lord has a reason for all of this. And uh, we are going to be better off for all the things that we are going through. Well, I trust that this uh, microphone is in the right location, and uh, well, I want to share a message with you this morning. And all through this time, I hear many times from people, they say, wow, we're going through challenging times. Uh, this is different times. This is unique times. This is difficult times. This is uh, trying times. This is hard times. And so as I was thinking about that, I, this message came to me, and the title of the message was to be, How to Survive Through Difficult Times. But after I put this message together, I changed the title. It's not just how to survive through difficult times, but how do we thrive through difficult times. And I hope that you picked up the message fill-in sheet as you came in. Follow along with us. Take these truths home with you. Here's the first point I would say to you. God desires that we thrive, not just survive. God desires that we thrive, not just survive. You see, you can survive something and be all beaten up. And you can lose everything and sort of stagger out of that situation and go, I survived. But that's not what God wants. He wants us to thrive through this time. And to thrive, the definition is to grow and flourish and be successful, to be better off. Now, I have to believe that there's nothing that happens to us that God can't turn for good. We know that verse. He works everything together for good. So if he's working this together for good, we're going to come out better on the other side of this. And so I want us to and be encouraged this morning that we can not just survive, but we're going to thrive through to this, and we're going to get back to better. All right, here's the verses that came to my mind that this message is based on. 2 Corinthians 4, verses 7 to 9. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels 
that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. We are hard pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Now that is a powerful portion of scripture. And I hope as I try to unpack this this morning, that you're going to be able to lay hold of this and we're going to come out of this better on the other side. So here's your next point. You need to know your nature. Know your nature. This portion of scripture says we are earthen vessels. Earthen vessels. Now what these earthen vessels that Paul was referring to here were clay pots. It was made out of the common clay of the day. They were shaped, molded, and then baked until they were hard. They were easy to make, they were cheap, and they were disposable. They were made for the day-to-day tasks of life. Now, many tried to dress them up by either painting them, glazing them, or decorating them somehow on the outside. And so some looked better than others, but actually their nature was the same. And their nature was that they were, they were weak, and they were breakable. Now, it's interesting that the Bible says and uses this to say that's who we are. That's our nature. That we are common. We're weak. We're transitory. The scripture says it's like, almost like we're just to buy for a little while and then we're gone. Like a wisp of smoke. When you think about that and you know your nature, it should humble us. And not think of ourselves more than we ought to think of one another. We should be humbled. And it says in 1 Peter 5, 5, Be clothed with humility. God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Now here's one of the take-home points that I, want, that I wrote in your notes. God designed us to be vulnerable and dependent. Now that's our nature. He designed us to be vulnerable and to be dependent. You're not made to live life on your own, in your own strength, being able to cope with every situation. That's not how we're designed. We are designed to be dependent on someone. Now, we're designed by God and we're to be dependent upon the Lord. Listen to what it says in 1 Corinthians uh, 27, or I think it's verse 1, 27 to 29. God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty, that no flesh should glory in his presence. He who glories, let him glory in the Lord. Don't glory in your own abilities. Don't glory in your own strength, what you think you can accomplish, how you'll be seen by others. You just need to know your nature. You're not designed for that. And if you try to do it on your own, you're going to be broken. It's just the way we are. And so we need to be humbled. We need to realize I am vulnerable and I am dependent. Here's the next take-home point. We have very little control over what we face in life. Now, part of us wants to be in control of everything. We want to know what's happening. We're going to want to know what's happening tomorrow. But life 
gives us curves. Things happen. We never foresee or foresaw this COVID-19. Wasn't on my radar at, radar at the end of the year and we celebrated and we moved into this new year. But this thing happened to us and we're vulnerable to it and it can affect us. And so there's something that we need to realize we can't control what you're facing in life. But as the song says, we don't know the future, but we know the one who holds the future. Now, now this, is, this is the whole point. We are vulnerable. You are dependent upon the Lord. You, you need to trust the Lord through this time. Pastor Larry shared that in the prayer. Our trust is in God. We're relying upon the Lord. You never need to feel that you're capable, that you're in control, but the Lord is capable and he is in control. Because we're an earthen vessel, but it brings us to the next part of this verse. We have this treasure in earthen vessels. So your next fill-in is this. Know the treasure you carry. Know the treasure you carry. You're an earthen vessel, but you carry a treasure. We were designed to carry something. Now, in the days of the Bible... Uh, they had safe deposit boxes, but not like we do. We go to the bank, we have a safe deposit box, we put it in. You know what they, they had, you know what their banking system was in this day? They had these clay pots they made, and they put their coins and their money and their treasure in these clay pots so that someone wouldn't come into the house and steal it. And they would go out in the field, and they would bury the clay pot in the field and cover it with dirt and that was their way to keep their possessions safe. Now this was so common that Jesus even gave a parable about this in Matthew 13. He said a man was in a field and he found a treasure in a field. And when they found this place they would put different you know clay pots with different monies in different locations. But this man found the treasure and, it's, and Jesus said he sold all that he had so he could buy the field so he could have the treasure. So the clay pot within itself was not valuable. But the treasure in the clay pot was such that you should sell all that you have in order to get this treasure. Now, in 1947, they found the Dead Sea Scrolls. Bedouin shepherd was going through and saw this crevice and dropped a rock down through the crevice and he heard it hit a clay pot and break and it caught his attention. What would a clay pot be doing down there? But he knew earthen vessels carried treasures and he investigated it further and he uncovered the scrolls uh, of Isaiah and most of the Bible. Now, this was a tremendous discovery because till that time, people thought, well, the Bible's just passed on. It's not really authentic. How do we know it's close to the original? And here they found these Dead Sea Scrolls, thousands and thousands of years old. And when they compared the Dead Sea Scrolls to the Bible, they were identical. Isaiah was identical. They couldn't believe it. There's a place in the Bible, or a place in Israel now, if, if you've been there, the building is made like a clay pot. And you go in and the Dead Sea Scrolls are displayed there. But I want you to gain to see that there was treasure placed in the clay pot. 
So what is the treasure that we carry? If we're earthen vessels, what is the treasure that we carry? Well, Ecclesiastes 3.11 says this. He has put eternity in their hearts. When God created us out of clay, shaped us, he deposited, breathed on, on man and became a living soul. And he put eternity in our hearts. We are meant to carry the presence of the Lord. We were designed to carry that treasure. That is the purpose of why we are. And that's why mankind without God will never feel that sense of satisfaction and significance and purpose because you won't have it. There's an emptiness that can only be filled by God. And so the treasure is God within. Now on the day of Pentecost, there was a special time that happened. After, well, we know because man sinned, he had to go out from the presence of the Lord. And we spiritually died. But Jesus came to redeem us from our sins, make a way back into his presence. And he took our sins on the cross. And then he ascended into heaven and he told them, you go wait in the upper room. And they went and they waited. And it said when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all in one accord in one place. And then suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. And it filled the whole place that they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues of fire. And it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. There was an outpouring of God's spirit into their lives. They were filled again with the very presence of God. They were no longer their own. They got so excited, they uh, sort of danced and rejoiced out of the upper room down into the streets. And they said, what's happening here? And Peter stood up and said, this is what was promised by the prophet Joel, that in the last days, he was going to pour out his spirit. That once again, people were going to be filled with the Holy Spirit. You know, this is the most significant thing that can happen in your life. Because people are born spiritually dead. But when they hear the good news of the gospel, then they come into the presence of God and have their sins forgiven. That God fills them with, the, with his Holy Spirit. And he begins to transform us from the inside out. And we take up our mission to manifest his presence, to carry his presence forth to the world. Now, that is a tremendous, tremendous truth. I don't think we realize it enough. We, we don't exercise our faith towards it enough. We're not appreciative of it enough. That we are earthen vessels and we're trying to decorate ourselves and paint ourselves up. But we need to realize there's a treasure that you carry. That God wants you to bring that presence forward to the world. So And so it says, the next fill in is this and it's in the verse. That the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. So you need to know the excelling power available to you. You need to know this excelling power, this excellent power, this power that goes beyond the normal, goes beyond the natural. You need to know the power that's within you. 
And he, so he says, we're earthen vessels. We're filled with this treasure. I'm praying that you will know this power that's within you. I'm praying that I will know it. I'm praying that you will know it. I pray as a church we will know it. I pray that we'll grasp the, 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 the importance of our mission and realize there is a power within us that's working through us. So why then do the next verses say something that's sort of strange? Because it goes on after he says that you would know the excellence of the power of God. He says we're hard pressed. And we're, and we're not crushed. We're perplexed. We're persecuted. And that we're going to be struck down. Now what's this got to do with this? Because the, that treasure that's within us has to be released to the world. And here's your next point. Hard times perfects and releases the life of Christ within. Hard time perfects and releases the life of Christ within. Listen to what Paul, Paul understood this. We, we saw on the children's video what he went through. I was thinking as I was watching that video, it seemed so light just to read the story. Well, the, the ship came apart and they swam to shore. But can you put yourself in the middle of this? I mean, they're on this ship, the waves, it's so much more. They're crashing in, the boat's breaking up. I mean, this is frightening. I mean, he went through this, swimming, trying to grab something. Now, he had an assurance from God that God was going to deliver them, but they had to still live through it. Why, why didn't God just let the boat come and just sort of drift into the sandbar and everybody just sort of jump off and smile and wade to shore? Why did they have to go through the hard time? Why, why, why did the whole thing have to break up? I don't know the answer to that, other than the Bible says that's what's going to happen. It's part of the process. The, and Paul speaks to this in Philippians 3 and verse 10. He says that I may know him in the power of the resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, Paul went through all kinds of hard times. And he said, I am learning to, to know his resurrection power. And I'm joining in the fellowship of his sufferings. We are going to through, go through hard times. You are going to suffer. And Paul says, I am actually glorying in this. I, I'm, I'm, I'm embracing this. If you're going to have resurrection life, you have to go through the death experience to get the resurrection life. And there's something in this that I don't understand why, but his, the excellence of his power is released through us, through suffering, through hard times, to, through times when everything else around us is breaking up. I was just listening to a secular program, and they were talking about the searches on Google through this time. One of the big jumps is, is there a God? Big jump in the searches on Google for that. Somehow through the hard times when everything's breaking up, people are going to say, what's solid? Now, we have a treasure a solid treasure is in an earthen vessel that can be subject to being broken just like everyone else. But we are not in despair. 
Because we know the treasure. Know the treasure that's within you. It's almost like the coal has to go through that pressure and, and uh, heat to become a diamond. It's, it's, just, it's just part of the process. So, let's go forward then. What is this process? So let's know this process. Here, here's the first point that Paul says. We're hard-pressed, but not crushed. We're hard-pressed, but not crushed. Now, the natural feeling is when we are hard-pressed, we feel we're going to be crushed. To be pressed is, it says, to have a continual steady force of weight upon you. It's different than a push. We all get <laughs> pushed. You know, we don't like being pushed, but at least it's over and you sort of straighten around and you, you turn and say, who pushed me? It's something else when there is a steady pressure. Like you're being pressed and you're, this is not giving up. It just seems the pressure is getting greater and greater. And, and, and we go through situations in life. It was just a push. I can handle that. But th this thing is not letting up. It keeps getting worse. The pressure is coming on more and more. So the feeling is that we're in a vice. We're between two opposing forces that's going to crush us. The devil wants you to think. You're between a rock and a hard place, and you're being crushed. He wants you to believe you're between the devil and the deep blue sea. He wants you to think that there are two dangerous situations on each side of me, and I'm being pressed in, and I'm going to be crushed under this. But the Bible says you're not going to be pressed. You're not going to be crushed. So what's the answer to this? You are not in a vice, but you are in a press. Now there's instruments and machines that are called a press. And you put clothing in a press and it takes the wrinkles out and it smooths the clothing. There's a press that we go through that is actually perfecting us by being in that press. Another, in industrial purposes, a press stamps a shape upon us. They put material into a press. It comes down and it presses the material into the shape and the image of that which is pressing it. And that's how they make so many different kinds of materials that you say, how did they make that? Well, it went into a press. It went into pressure and heat, and it stamped an image upon it. Now, I want you to see this, folks, because this is really, really important. In fact, probably one of the key points of this whole message. When you feel the pressure, realize you are between a problem and God. He's using the problem as the backdrop so that he can press his image upon you. So, in the pressure, you're going to be stamped. Now, 
You're either going to be stamped by the problem or you're going to be stamped by God. And what determines it? Which way you face. In the pressure, if you focus on the problem and obsess with the problem, and this is terrible, and I don't know why this is happening to me, and you're complaining, and you're praying always against the problem, and it doesn't mean we can't pray against problems, but if that's your total focus and you ignore what Pastor Larry said of looking to the Lord and looking to Him and praising God, in this pressure situation, you need to turn to God. And if you turn to God, the pressure will press you into God. And you will be stamped with his image and what he wants you to be. You'll see your life transformed, shaped because of the pressure. If the pressure wasn't there, you wouldn't have the shape. He is transforming you. He's changing you into his image. But we don't see that the process involves being pressed on all sides. But you're not being crushed. You're being stamped with the image of God. Now these are powerful Powerful truths. Listen to what it says in 2 Corinthians 12.10. Paul's response. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches. I mean, we can read quickly over these words, but you need to look every one of these words up. An infirmity. A reproach. Someone has said something about you. It's a reproach. You're looked upon as worse. In needs, in persecutions, in distresses. He says he's taken pleasure in these things. For Christ's sake, for when I'm weak, then I am strong. It's through these processes, it's in the baking process, that you as a clay vessel are being stamped with the image of the treasure that's within you, which strengthens you, and allows that image to come forth through you in a way it's purifying you and trans, making you more transparent so that people can see the image through you. So we're hard pressed, but we're not crushed. Here's the next part of the process. We're perplexed, but not in despair. Perplexed, but not in despair. Definition of perplexed means to be full of doubt, Full of doubt. I mean, I just don't know. I'm perplexed. I'm full of doubt. I'm uncertain. I'm puzzled. Now, when this happens, here's what comes out of your mouth. I don't know what's happening. Why is this happening to me? I don't understand it. I thought we were doing this. I thought we were going to go here. And now it's not happening and you're perplexed. Realize it's part of the process. You are vulnerable. You are dependent. You have to look to something beyond yourself. It's how God designed us, folks. And so you have to realize, okay, I am going to be perplexed. There's going to be times I'm going to say, what in the world's going on? But you need to realize in the middle of this that just because you don't have an answer doesn't mean there isn't an answer. 
You may not understand. You may not be able to articulate it. You can't reason it out. But it doesn't mean there's not a reason. You're perplexed, but you don't come to despair. What's despair? Despair is to lose or to give up hope. When you come to despair, you no longer hope. You think this is the way it's going to be. This will never change. I'm going to give up. I've given up on this. I've tried. I've tried to hang in there. I've tried to do this. But I'm going to give up now. That's despair. Have you ever seen it grip you? When you're perplexed, you've done everything you can to change the situation, but it's not changing. It says don't come to despair. You need to have hope. What's hope? The confident expectation that things are going to get better. Hope is a beautiful thing. Abides faith, hope, and love. We talk a lot about faith. We talk about a lot about love, but we don't know. We don't realize the thing that connects faith and love is hope. You've got to stick in there through the hard time. You got to realize the hard time's not there to destroy me, so I, I got to survive this. No, I'm going to thrive through this. I hope. I hope in God. I trust in God. I say I don't understand what's happening. But I trust in God. I believe in God. Job had the ultimate hope. When everything was, he's sick. He's lost his family. I mean, everything. He says, he finally cries out and says, though God slays me, yet will I trust him. Now that's hope. Everything around me looks bad, but I'm going to trust God. He did not come to despair. But he kept his hope and trust in God. 2 Corinthians 4, 1 says, Therefore, since we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we do not lose heart. Don't lose heart. If you're looking for the heart of the clay vessel, you will lose it. If you look for the heart of the treasure in the clay vessel, you won't lose it. God says, give me your heart. Give your heart to God. Give your life to God. And in the midst of he, you won't lose your heart then. He will hold it. And you'll go through times of per, being perplexed, but you will not be in despair. Which brings us to the third part of the process in this verse. And it says in 2 Corinthians 4, 9, we're persecuted, but not forsaken. This is how I worded it in the notes. Harassed, but not alone. You look up the definition of persecution, it means to be afflicted or harassed constantly. To be troubled and annoyed by people. <laughs> Persecuted. It can be light and it can get heavy. Many people have lost their natural life through persecution, but even then they didn't lose hope. Because the Bible says in Revelation to the church that was suffering hard times, it said, be faithful unto death and the Lord will give you a crown of life. So this hope goes past natural death. That even in 
situations when we still don't understand and persecution is there, we can joy as those early Christians went to the Colosseum and gave their life. But the remarkable thing, it said they had a peace on their faces. If you read the historical accounts of this, they, they were harassed, but they never felt alone. They, were, they never felt abandoned. Now listen, Satan is the object of the problems and the pressures and the afflictions and the infirmities and all these things. But God uses them. And he uses them to perfect his life within us to show that he's stronger than any of these things. And so we need to realize even though these things happen to us and we're going to feel alone, we're going to feel abandoned, we're going to feel abandoned by God, you're going to feel abandoned by your friends, there's going to be times when you feel like you're all alone. Have you ever been there? But the scripture says you're not abandoned. You are not alone. And again, just because you feel something doesn't mean that's the reality. And so you begin to look to the treasure that's within you and realize that Hebrews 13.5 says, I will never leave you or forsake you. See, the devil will come to you and say, the Lord's forsaken you. Now, he didn't want to. <laughs> he loves you. But he forsook you because of all the things you have done. And he had no other choice. It's almost like a captain abandoning the ship. He's the last one off. He doesn't want to abandon the ship, but things have got so dire, even the captain leaves the ship. And sometimes that's what the devil will say. The Lord doesn't want to abandon you, but you've just gone too far. You've made too many mistakes. You, you've failed the Lord so many times. Or the people around you, God had a plan for your life, but people around you have ruined your life. Have you ever heard people say that? He ruined my life. The boss ruined my job. We, we feel like people have control of us. Because we're vulnerable. But you need to realize you have a treasure within you. And let it press the image of God into you. It says in Matthew 28, as Jesus is ascending in heaven, surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. You need to realize that the Lord is always there. And now you've got to turn back to him. You've turned to the problem. You've turned away from God. Turn back to God. You say, well, I can't get to him. You don't have to get to him. The pressure is going to press you into him. Just turn towards God. The pressure may increase, but the pressure is there to push you back to God and for him to stamp his image upon you. So here's the, the take-home point I put in your notes. When you feel alone, it doesn't mean you're alone. You just need to know some things. I might feel alone, but I'm not alone. And that brings us to the next one. Struck down, but not destroyed. We're struck down, but not destroyed. The way I wrote it was this. Knocked down, but not knocked out. <laughs> How many, you don't see the boats very much, um, you know, the boxing boats. When I was a kid, Saturday night, they were always on TV. Uh, boxing, and uh, but how many times 
has a boxer been in the ring and got knocked down? <laughs> I mean, they were knocked off their feet. They were stunned. For a few seconds, they didn't know where they were. Stars. I can't stand. I, I don't even know. I can't even think. You're knocked for a loop. No one likes that. No one likes the wind knocked out of them. Where I can't breathe and I'm laying here and I, 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 I can't muster any strength here. That, the Bible, now listen to me folks. The Bible says that's going to happen to you. You're going to be struck down. You're going to be knocked off your feet. You're going to lose your bearings. You're going to wonder where you are and how you got there. But the Bible says you're not destroyed. You're knocked down, but you're not knocked out. And how many times has a boxer got up before the... See, this is what happens. When the devil knocks you down, he begins the count. One, two, three. And you sort of hear this in the background and you're saying, I can't get up, I can't do this. I might as well just lay here. And he just says, stay there, stay there. You're down for the count. But that's where you've got to, as the, the treasure within you starts to stir, and you realize, I don't have the strength, but when I'm weak, then I'm strong. And I'm trusting God. He's got a purpose in this. And so all the things that we've been talking about, you're, you, you realize, I'm not crushed. I'm not in despair. I'm not alone here. God is in this. He's working it all together for good. And you get back up on your feet. There were a lot of people in the scripture that did tremendous things for God that got knocked down. Here's just a list of the few people I saw. Noah got drunk. Abraham lied about his wife. Said, she's not my wife, she's my sister. Sarah laughed at God's promise. Moses murdered an Egyptian. Rahab was a harlot. Samson had a serious problem with lust and anger. Eli failed as a father and his children went astray. David was an adulterer and a murderer. Elijah struggled with depression. Jonah ran away from God. James and John wanted special favor, wanted to be over all the other disciples. And Peter denied the Lord said, I don't know him. Abandoned the Lord in the greatest trial that Jesus went through on life naturally. They were knocked down. They were stunned. But you need to come to the point to realize, you know what? I can get back up again. And each one of these people that I mentioned went on to do exploits for the Lord in spite of being knocked down. Paul felt this way. Listen to what he writes in 2 Corinthians 1.8. We do not want you to be uninformed. 
I mean, Paul's writing this letter. He says, let me tell you something here. You may not know this. I, don't, I want you to understand what happened. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired even of life. Indeed, in our hearts, we felt the sentence of death. Now, we get an indication of some of the things that happened, but he just says to him, you know, you don't know what happened to us when we went to Asia. All these things that we've been talking about happened to him. But I love the next verse. He goes on and says, but this happened that we might not only rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He says, we got a miracle working God that goes past death, past anything that we could. I mean, the devil can throw at his worst at us. As someone said when they were threatened to die, they said, the devil's threatening me with heaven. <laughs> because Paul said to die is gain. Be absent in the bodies, be present with the Lord. Are you threatening me with heaven, devil? Oh, you're going to die through this. He's just threatened you with heaven. I mean, you got to see, you got to realize the treasure. We got to realize who our God is. We need to realize who we are. And we need to just hold strong and firm through this. You've heard me use this before, but I love this statement. I saw it somewhere, and it says this. I put it in your notes. A bend in the road is not the end of the road unless you fail to make the turn. There are some roads you go down and they just bend right around 180 degrees and come right back the other way. It's not the end of the road. When life throws you a curve and it's completely opposite of what you thought you were going. I'm going in this direction, but look where the road has taken me. That's where you need to just realize, you know what? I'm going to stay the course. I'm sticking with the Lord. My hand's in his hand. He's working all things together. I don't understand it. I'm perplexed. I feel knocked down. I feel beaten up. But you know what? God is in control, and you just keep the course. And the bend in the road isn't the end of the road unless you fail to make the turn. Listen to what it says in 2 Corinthians 4.16. Paul sort of sung. He said, therefore, we do not lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing and the inward man, listen, is being renewed day by day. The outward man is perishing, but the inward man's being renewed day by day. For our light affliction. It doesn't seem light when we're going through it. But Paul says, in the light of eternity, this is just a light thing you're going through which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. There's something beyond this life. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. What are you looking at? The natural temporary things you can see. Are you looking at what God is doing through this? And it's working for you. Wow. An exceeding eternal weight of glory. Here's your last point. 
being broken is part of the process. Man, I don't want to be broken. But being broken is part of the process. It takes the weakness in order to have the strength. It takes the battle in order to experience the victory. You have to go through the struggle to experience his deliverance. It's just part of the process. I just put this note in your, under this point. Gideon's victory came as a result of the clay pitchers breaking. And again, we won't take time to go into this whole story other than Gideon led Israel against the Midianites which were oppressing them, far outnumbered them. Gideon mustered the army after finally, you know, getting over his own fear. And 32,000 men came to Gideon. And the Lord said, you know what? There's too many. Because if you win this victory, you're going to think the clay pots did it. If I put it in the terminology of this message. You're going to think the clay pots did it. So he says, tell everyone that's here, if they're afraid, go home. 22,000 people went home. Left 10,000 people. The Lord looked at it. Now they're outnumbered about 10 to 1 from the enemy. And the Lord says, still too many. You're still going to think the clay pots did this. So he tells them to go down to the stream. We were actually there in Israel. It's a, it's a spring. It sort of fits into this mountainside. And you can see the valley out beyond. And he said, bring the men down to the spring and watch them get their drink. The ones just put their head down into the spring and, and drink that way. He says, send them home. He said, the people that take the water in their hand, bring it up to their mouth, keep them. Only 300 people brought the water to the... And the Lord looks at it and he says, I think now if they win this battle <laughs> that they'll realize it wasn't in their own strength. So he says, Gideon, I'm going to give you the deliverance with these 300. Now this is the story. They were to take the clay uh, pitcher and they were to put a light in it, the candle in it, and they were to take um, their sword in their hand. And, or trumpet, sorry, trumpet. And uh, Gideon says, when I blow the trumpet, I want you to break the clay pitcher, and I want you to blow the trumpet. And he stationed them all around the multitude of the Midianites. And they blew the trumpet. They broke the clay pitchers. The light came forth. The trumpets blew. It startled the camp that was in pitch darkness. They're thinking, we are surrounded. Look at everyone that's around us. They got up, and in their confusion, they started fighting one another, thinking that they were fighting the enemy. They destroyed each other, and the victory was given to Gideon. But again, the victory came when the clay pots were broken. 
you are, can I put it this way, in, in the light of God, you are dispensable. If you think my whole purpose in life is nothing touches me, I don't want anything to bruise or hurt me. I, Lord, you just keep me safe all the way through life. No pressures, no concerns, no anxiety. Just keep me perfect. We're not going to see the glory of God. We're not going to see the victory. We have to be willing to say, I am the Lord's. And whatever he wants, that's the important thing. Lord, I trust you. I want your will to be done. Not my will, but your will be done. And when we, will, when we do that, God's going to be manifest. He's going to be seen. And this world's going to believe and glorify God. Would you stand with me this morning? Are you ready to thrive through this hard time? I hope you see the things we're going through differently. The things that concern you and start shaking you, that it'll just establish you and say, you know what? God's at work. God's at work. He's at work. Name, like last week's message, name the situation what God is doing in the situation. Name it. You have the naming rights. Encourage yourself. Say, God is at work. Lord, your will be done. Be seen in this earth. I don't know what's going to come out of this time we're living through. But I pray that God will be seen. That he'll be glorified. That the world will believe. I, I pray as different other prophecies we share with you at the beginning of this. That there's a great awakening coming out of this. Would you pray with me? Commit yourself to the Lord. Let, let me pray this prayer for all of us. Father, we, we, we're so quick to look at ourselves because we realize how fragile we are. I ask, Lord, that you would cause us to lift our eyes and realize the treasure that's within us and that we're just vessels that's containing your presence. And you want to be seen in this world. Lord, I ask that we live our lives in such a way that men will see our good works and glorify our Father which is in heaven. Would you bring victory out of every bad situation? May we be encouraged. May we not lose heart. But may we thrive. May we thrive through this. When we take pleasure in the things that the enemy tries to threaten us with. That we take pleasure in it and rejoice in it. And be exceedingly glad when these things happen. For great is our reward in heaven. And great are your purposes on earth. So Lord, stamp this message in our heart. Stamp this truth into our hearts. That we're not shaken, but we're strong and stable, immovable in the things of God. I pray and ask it in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Let's thank the Lord. Well, think on these things. We're going to dismiss you by household. You're welcome to fellowship.